0: A reading from the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, beginning with the 17th verse. As Jesus started on His way, a man ran up to Him and fell on his knees before Him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit life? To inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him one thing you lack he said go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me at this the man's face fell He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last, first. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So that's a troublesome passage of Scripture, isn't it? It flies in the face of everything we've been taught. Building wealth is the, I don't know, seems like the backbone of our society, doesn't it? Just this morning as I was driving over to the men's club, there was a show on the radio to teach me how to build wealth. I don't know if they were right or not, but theoretically I could have listened and done some investing and built myself a bigger nest egg and tucked it away somewhere and ignored everybody else in the world and been happy. Theoretically, that's out there. I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but I want you to know if that text makes you uncomfortable, that's a good thing. It should make us uncomfortable. Because the truth is, if you have more than what you absolutely need to survive, He's talking to you. If we have more than what we absolutely need to survive, i got bad news for you. We're rich people. Maybe not in our eyes. In our eyes, we think about the filthy rich, people with millions and billions and trillions and 15 houses and fancy hairdos and nice nails and gold dresses and... Celebrities are rich, not us. Tell that to a kid who's living on gas station hot dogs as their only meal they get apart from school. Tell that to people who are living out of their cars that we're not rich. It's hard. Some of us do struggle to make ends meet. But compared to most of the world, we're pretty comfortable I couldn't help but avoid that thought as I read that, that I have a pretty comfortable life. Second thing I thought was, surely Jesus isn't talking about fishing stuff, as I told the, kid, the kids a little while ago. Not the boat, Jesus. Anything but the boat. <laughs> there was a local charity and that had never received a contribution from the town's banker, so the director of that charity thought that she should give the banker a phone call. She called him up and she said, "You know, our records show that you make 500,000 dollars a year, but you haven't given a penny to help anybody. Not even our charity. And you're on the board." And the director said to the banker, wouldn't you like to help our community? The banker replied, did your research show that my mother is deathly ill with expensive medical bills? Well, no, she said. Or that my brother is blind and unemployed? That my sister's husband died leaving her broke with five kids? Did your research show that? And she started feeling bad, and she said, well, no, I, mean, I had no idea. So the banker said, well, if I didn't give them any money, what makes you think I'm going to help y'all? <laughs> I've told y'all before that when we laugh at jokes like that, it's because we recognize truth in them, right? They make us uncomfortable, so we laugh at them because we know that we who maybe make 25 to 50, maybe 75,000 a year, that we we might live in that same tension where somebody say, might say to us, why haven't you given? And we might say, well, I got all this going on, but then the reality is we haven't done much about that either. And that gets to be a really hard text and scary because, you know, Jesus is talking about eternal life here. He's not talking about getting a yogurt It gets tough. You know, over and over for a while, we affirm that we love Jesus, right? Y'all still feel that way? Y'all still in love with Jesus? Last week, I asked you a new question. I asked, have you faith in Jesus? What would you say to that church? Have you faith in Jesus? This text is a good litmus for that. We can all get caught up in the idea if we just save enough money, we can live comfortably for the rest of our life. For some of us, we might have to die next week. But still, there's always that idea that if we could save enough, we could live comfortably. But listen, is, is our comfort worth the suffering of others? That's a hard question, isn't it? Jesus is calling people to live for others the way he's lived for us. And it makes us uncomfortable, and it should, I guess. Because it's threatening. It's threatening. And that hymn we just sang, we we sang these words, Oh speak to reassure me. We need that. Hasten or control, we need that. We need for Christ to hasten our action in the world, to control our hearts and our spirits. And then we say, oh, speak and make me listen, thou guardian of my soul. And I wonder, do we realize how dangerous that can be? What would he ask of us, Adna? What has Christ asked of us? And are we willing to do it? You see, he asked the young man to sell his possessions and give the money to the poor, and he simply didn't want what he asked for bad enough to do it. Makes me uncomfortable, because I can remember when I didn't want it bad enough to do what Jesus had asked me to do. there's a lot of tension in this text and people have tried to explain it away they said where Jesus isn't talking to everybody who would follow him he's only talking to this one man because he's money sick and what he needs is to be healed from that and everybody else in the gospel of Mark when they come up to Jesus and kneel what they're asking is for healing and this young man comes asking for healing and Jesus tells him that the way he can be healed is to get rid of his money and that could be true That could be exactly what's happening here. This may not apply to all of us, but still we might have to ask, what is there in our life that Jesus might ask us to get rid of so that we can be healed? And we might say, no, 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 Lord, you've gone from preaching to meddling. I don't want none of that. It's not easy. Other people have said, well, you know, that eye of the needle thing that there was a a gate in the temple called the eye of the needle and there simply just wasn't. When Jesus said it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of the needle, he's using hyperbole so we would just get exactly how hard our situation is. That there's nothing we can do that will merit eternal life for us. That we can't buy it, we can't sell it, we can't earn it, we can't do anything to get there to it. But follow him and if our money is a hindrance get rid of it and so some eighth century interpreter decided there was a gate in the in the temple called the eye of the needle and what would have to happen is a camel had to unload its burdens so it would pass through but that was made up but still that could be exactly what jesus is saying That this young man needs to unburden himself from his desire for wealth so that he can see who it is in front of him and follow after him. And the question becomes a kind of litmus test for him. Y'all remember what a litmus test was? You stick it in the water, it tells you whether the water is alkaline or acid or neutral. And we've taken that over into the culture and we've said that things are litmus tests to determine whether we really believe something or not. We run litmus tests like we do something to see how people will react And we say, well, they didn't really believe what they said. And to me, the thing that this text most sounds like is not something that we should explain away and make ourselves comfortable with it, but that we should live with attention, be a little scared about it, and say to Jesus, Lord, what is it that you've asked me to do that I've refused? Because I don't truly love you and I don't truly have faith in you. That, to me, seems much more worthwhile than explaining this text away. I don't know, it's probably kind of obvious, but normally I don't have much in the way of notes up here. Um, Sometimes if I'm reading a manuscript to you, it's just because I had a long week and I was afraid I'd forget what I wanted to say. Because I've had that experience before and there's nothing worse than getting in the pulpit and forgetting the first line of your sermon that gets everything started. But I wrote something this week in my handwritten notes as I was reading the text and playing with the words. And one of the first words I noticed was the word inherit. And you know what? You can't earn an inheritance, can you? An inheritance is given to you by the free will of someone else. Because they love you. But it got me to thinking about all this thing with this text and I wrote this. I said, this is an invitation to do more than just believe. Jesus is calling followers, not believers. He's calling us to follow as well. We have over and over affirmed our love for Him. We've affirmed that we have faith in Him. So how would we respond if Jesus asked us to do the exact same thing He asked this man to do? Worse yet, I wrote, how would I respond? What if Jesus said to me, David, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And then I remembered that that's exactly what happened to me. And I remember when I went into the district superintendent's office to receive my first profile of appointment to find out how serious I was. He laid out pictures and ministerial support forms from the two churches I would be serving. And then it hit me, the salary cut I was in for. And I remember coming home and sitting down with a legal pad and Samantha backed me up and and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing numbers and crunching numbers to see... If it was worth it. Do you hear that, church? That's an admission. Could I really do it? Part of that was not wanting to inflict harm on my family to keep us comfortable. But part of it was pride. Because in our society, you are what you earn. So what if Jesus asked me to do that? Well, he kind of did. And the questions I had to ask myself were, do I love him enough to do this? Do I have true faith? Or is it just words? Do I have faith that God will take care of me? Faith that will allow me to actually do what He says. Paul says in Romans 10 that if I desire righteousness, true righteousness, it must be the righteousness that comes from faith. So he says, if I confess with my lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, I will be saved. I'll be delivered from slavery to sin and death. But if He asked me to do this thing, would I do it? If Jesus asked this thing of me and I refused, could it possibly mean that my confession is worthless? Could it mean that my confession that Jesus is Lord is really just hollow words? Could it mean that my profession of faith is nothing? Would it mean that He was not truly my Lord? If I refuse to trust Him with my life, What does that say about the veracity of my confessed belief that God has raised Him from the dead or that God will raise even me? Those are hard questions. And this text should have haunted me the whole time I struggled to answer my call to ministry. That I worked so hard to deny to avoid Jesus' call on my life while I sat in a pew and said He was Lord and that I had faith. And eventually for me, those two things butted heads. And I realized that I couldn't go on as an architect and say that He was Lord of my life. And I couldn't go on as an architect and say that I truly had faith in him. So I don't know what the text drags up for you, but that's what it drug up for me. But what I do know is this. Rather than write it off or decide to ignore it, we all ought to ask ourselves, if he asked us to do that, would we do it? we all ought to acknowledge that Christ is sending us into the world to do something. And that all sounds pretty hard. Wesley felt that tension. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, taught us that we, could earn all, we should earn all we can, that we should save all we can, but not for us. But that, so that after our immediate needs and the needs of our families were met, we would turn our attention to the needs of our community. To the needs of our church people, and then after them, to the needs of other people in the community. Man, that's like toe-stepping kind of stuff, isn't it? I wouldn't want any of y'all to see the vision rods in my closet. I could open up a Walmart. And this text makes me feel like that's heinous and horrible. And maybe it is. Maybe we should think about that. About what we possess while others hurt. About the real nature of our blessings. Because if we hoard them, they're not blessings, they're curses. Which turns me back to the word inherit and the real good news in this text. Because you see, if we take this text out of its context, which means we rip it out of mark and pretend that Jesus didn't say the stuff that comes next or do the stuff that comes next, then all it really is is about earning our way into heaven by giving people everything we have, right? And surely that can't be what Jesus is saying. So if we turn our attention back to that word inherit, We can find the comfort of knowing that for us it's impossible for us to do anything to inherit eternal life. It is a gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because we follow Him, we have life. But that doesn't release us from His teaching about money and stuff and the danger that it has to compete with God for our allegiance. The gospel is, we don't have to inherit eternal life by what we do. The young man said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the good news is that through Jesus' death and resurrection, just a few verses after these, he will say he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Through his death and resurrection, we can have eternal life by faith in him. But his call to give up our lives for others is a litmus that can tell us whether or not we have faith in him. And that's the hard part. Are we content to live for ourselves? Are we content to ignore the suffering of others? Or do we have enough faith in Jesus to trust him enough to follow him and serve others? Do you hear the difference? That's the core of this text. The fullness of the gospel is Christ is saving us, changing us, and that we are God's workmanship prepared in advance for the good works that God has prepared for His church to do in the world. But hearing this question and asking ourselves, are we willing to give up everything for Him might provide us a good litmus test for whether or not we truly have faith in Him. Or if we're afraid we'll just miss out on everything and that all there is is this life and there is no resurrection from the dead, there's no age to come, there's only this, and we better get what we can while we can. That's the question this text raised. Have we truly faith in Christ, or is it all just lip service? I hope that's clear as mud. I hope that you'll hang on to the idea that we inherit eternal life, but that we're called to something bigger than ourselves in this life. And I share the struggle with you that it's hard to live up to Jesus' teaching. And so I'll remind you again that when Jesus looked at the young man, he did something. Do you remember what it was? He loved him. And if you find yourself failing at being willing to give up everything for him, just remember that. Ask forgiveness and strength. Remember the man who brought his demoniac son down to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, do you have faith? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let that be your prayer. But don't dismiss this text. It's given to us, I believe, so that we will struggle with it and wonder about what Christ would think about what we do with the things He's entrusted us with. With our life, with our families, with our jobs, and even with our money. Fair enough? peace of Christ be with you as you struggle to live with what He's called you to be. Because it isn't easy. But the good news is, we're called to do it together. Amen.